0: Trinity, we are so glad that you're here in person or with us online. It is indeed a joy and a privilege to be able to gather together to be encouraged in song and in prayer and communion and the Word, and we get to do that uh, now. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open your Bible to the Old Testament to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to consider all of Ecclesiastes 4 this morning We're going to read it all right out of the gate. So as you're turning there, you'll know that Ecclesiastes, obviously, in the Old Testament, you'll probably find that toward the middle left side of your Bible as you're looking for it, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Let's read all 16 verses of this important and necessary chapter as we wrestle through our series, Living Well in a Frustrating World. Again, I saw all the oppressions. That are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work from a, man's, from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A 3 cold is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, of all whom he led, yet those who will come later will not rejoice in him. Surely, this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Let's pray. God, we come to your word, and we certainly need your help with it. As we set our minds and our hearts on Ecclesiastes, God, would you do a good work in us and help us to find our center and our source to be above the sun and not under it God, give us the encouragement of honesty and hope from these words and may it lead us to greater dependence upon you and we ask that you be with us now we consider it in jesus name amen at the end of Scrooge. The modern adaptation of Charles Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol, Frank Cross, the modern-day Ebenezer Scrooge, shares his existential awakening with the whole world. Frank, the youngest president of a TV studio, was overseeing a live, globally televised production of A Christmas Carol when he experienced the very story. Frank was beyond Successful, beyond self-absorbed, beyond heartless, and perfectly portrayed by Bill Murray. He was a real Scrooge, but he experienced a miracle. One, you could say loosely, and more owing to the original source material from Dickens, lifted his horizon above the sun. He explained to the world, I get it now. And if you, if you give, then it can happen. Then the miracle can happen to you. It's not just to the poor and the hungry. It's everybody who's got to have this miracle. And it can happen tonight for all of you. If you believe in this spirit thing, the miracle will happen, and then you'll want it to happen again tomorrow. A Christmas carol tells the story of a calloused heart being brought into a great conflict of the soul only then to be ultimately comforted. And that's our aim this morning as we consider Ecclesiastes 4, maybe bringing a calloused heart into a great conflict and hopefully being ultimately comforted. That we find comfort In a frustrating world, that we would find comfort in a frustrating world. And how do we go about finding comfort in a frustrating world? Well, we have to tell ourselves two things that are very important and very true. The first is this, as we will find here from Ecclesiastes 4 this world is trouble. This world is trouble. And I'm not going to be, like, super innovative here. The second point is simply this. God is our comfort. We just need it told to us straight sometimes. Make it plain. This world is trouble, but God is our comfort. As we wrestle with Ecclesiastes 4, this world is trouble, but God is our comfort. Let's consider that together. Um, Let's work through that together. First, in this world is trouble. Trouble. In this world is trouble. The first aspect of trouble we find is that power corrupts. Power corrupts. In this world, you'll find power. You may even gain power, but power corrupts. Let's look again at verses 1 through 3. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. They had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors, there was power There was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead, who are already dead, more fortunate than the living, who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Under the sun world is broken, and because it's broken, it gets capitalized and exploited. There is oppression under the sun. We don't have to look very far to find it. It's all over the place. There is oppression. And oppression here is injustice in the court of law, but it also includes all sorts of misuse and abuse of power by those who have it. The preacher is in a vantage point looking at life from the place of highest power and privilege, and he looks across it all, and he sees oppression and injustice. But it's also not just in the big picture things like, government or economics or law but it's also down in more street level curb level kinds of experiences that you and I face each day in organizations in communities and yes even in churches too it can happen what we find is that those who rise to the top game the system and then seek to protect their position and that comes with a great cost to those who are under them and those who are under those power structures that oppress and take advantage and exploit and keep the position that they gain, those who are under that cannot find any comfort under the sun. Cannot find any comfort. Those under the extorting injustice of those in power will find no comfort in this world, no lasting comfort. And it's an expression, no comfort to be found, that speaks to living under the heaviness of such hopelessness. He's looking at this structure and he's seeking an under the sun source of comfort and he is finding none. And then levels a devastating better than series. It's better to be dead than to be alive in this world. But even better than that is to not even be born because then you would have to live and then die. To live under an oppressive world without anyone to take it up with you and for you is soul-crushing. In this world is trouble. In this world is trouble. And that trouble will leave us longing for comfort. The preacher on his expedition to find is there any way to gain anything in this world? How do we live well in a frustrating world? Sees this and sees no comfort to be found. Secondly, we find that possessions can't satisfy. Power corrupts. That's one of the things that we'll find in this world. The second is that possessions can't satisfy. Let's look at verses 4 through 12. Sort of the meaty part of uh, or the bulk of this chapter again 4 through 12 then i saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor this also is vanity and a striving after wind the fool folds his hand and eats his own flesh better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind again i saw vanity under the sun One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. And how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. The threefold cord is not quickly broken. The the under-the-sun world is a constant chase that can't satisfy. There's a vicious cycle. There's the work, the gain, and then the unsatisfied Outcome. And therefore, the cycle begins again. Work, gain, unsatisfied. Focus on this section is certainly on the work, the toil, the ways in which we spend our lives. We find it in verse 4, verse 6, verse 8, verse 9. We look at this as a a way to keep up with everyone else, we work the system to keep up with the others. We even find that envy is right there in our hearts as we labor in this world seeking that sort of satisfaction that we think we can find. Envy is a self-destructive drive fueled by what others have or by the perception of what others might have. It's an insatiable drive to not lose footing, to not lose standing. We used to say, keep up with the Joneses. Now it's the pressure that we place on ourselves every time we open up Instagram. We, we see filtered lives that look so much better than ours, so we work hard to get ours to match that. It's a constant chasing. It cannot deliver. What we gain from that work and effort and toil can't ever satisfy the drive. Look again at verse 8. Verse 8. One per, uh, 7 and 8, and again I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother. Yet, listen, there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure. This also is vanity and an unhappy business. There's your Ebenezer screwed. can't find ultimate comfort and working to gain and gaining to work. It's like, it's like this system is a picture of what carbohydrates are. Oh, <laughs> I hit a nerve. <laughs> you eat your feelings too? All right. <laughs> carbohydrates, the more you eat them, the more you need to keep eating them. Always feeling full, yet never satisfied. Or maybe you go like this. You, you eat a lot of the sweet carbs, and you feel like, oh, I had too many sweets, so now you have to balance it out with all the salty carbs. Yes? And then you circle back around. Oh, that was too much salt, so now I got to go back to the sweet. Always full, yet never satisfied. This cycle in this world is trouble for us. The work to gain will ultimately leave us unsatisfied. And yet, in the midst of this, we actually get some of the most positive statements from the preacher in all of his first-person discourse of Ecclesiastes. In verses 9 through 12, we, we get the positive observation, that companionship, in a frustrating world is far superior than no companionship in a frustrating world. That the sort of companionship that we have, that we go through the frustrating things in life with, actually means something. That even from an under-the-sun perspective, you can see that, and having experienced that, you know that companionship and people are better than, say, possessions and pleasures and, and power. Two are better than one. The threefold cord is not quickly broken. These are some of the most positive statements from the preacher in all of his discourse. And in fact, at the end of this little section about companionship, we don't find the common phrase that sort of assesses it that we've been finding through Ecclesiastes. There's no, this too is vanity and a striving after the wind, capping off 9 through 12. We find that in this life, that in this hard world where there is trouble, you and I, we need companionship. Whether it's a secular under the sun perspective or a, a, a God-centered above the sun perspective, everyone can make that same observation. We need help from each other, with each other, in a world that won't ultimately satisfy people greater than possessions, greater than pleasures, greater than power. And consider what it takes to have each. The possessions of this world that never satisfy, you're always working and toiling to gain, to gain, to gain. But in companionship, it's give and receive, and give and receive, and give and receive. Entirely different context and experience. And so even in the midst of of looking at and surveying this troubled world from an under-the-sun perspective, even here we see that, that the preacher can, can, can put into words the things that you and I long for. Companionship in this hard world is far superior. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But there's one more trouble that we need to consider. Power corrupts. Possessions can't satisfy. Thirdly, people are fickle. People go in. People are fickle. Let's look at verses 13 through 16. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end to all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is a vanity and a striving after the wind. The under the world acceptance that we want in this world is fleeting and fickle by nature. The preacher uses a compelling story to drive home the fleeting, fickle nature of seeking comfort in people. It's a story that he gives a, a run of kings, and and in fact, in the original language, it's actually quite confusing. How many kings are being referenced here? And and really, there might be three or four that are in reference in this little story of run of kings. There's the old king who becomes a fool. So again, putting a the wisdom literature on its head. Usually, age re- leads to wisdom, right? And and usually, youth is. Is, is understood in a term of foolishness, and yet the reversal is happening here in this story because the second one is a wise, poor youth that then becomes king after the old one. But in some measure in the original, it seems as if he's replaced by someone more popular. So the wise, poor youth who then becomes king gets replaced by someone more popular, and even the popular one doesn't last and is eventually replaced. The whole point is don't try to find comfort and acceptance in people from under the sun because it's fleeting and fickle. Now, quick note, people is different than companionship. You cannot crowdsource the sort of companionship that sticks with you through whatever. So there is a different aspect of humanity at play here, the kind of companionship that would be with you through the joys and the sorrows is not the same as people who are fickle, no matter the joys and the sorrows. For us today, social media is a devious device that preys upon our desire for acceptance. Offers no companionship and then can turn on us with viral speed. Yet we put ourselves through it every day. There's a longing in us for deep and lasting companionship, but people are too fickle for that. We find in Ecclesiastes 4 some honest realities. This world is trouble. In this world is trouble. And if we ask for a troubled world to provide us comfort because it's troubled, we will be left out in the cold experiencing frustration preacher's not answering the question, how do we live well in a frustrating world? He's just finding more frustrations. Well, that leads us to look above the sun as opposed to under it. And when we look above the sun, we find this overarching, overwhelming truth. God is our comfort. When you look under the sun, and you will look, and you can spend all of your resources and energy and efforts to do this, you will seek out comfort in something, in power, in possessions, in people. You will find disappointment in each. Something about them that won't satisfy. Something about them that is a little bit too empty. There's, there's something hollow about the things gained through power and possessions and people. And there won't be any lasting, ultimate comfort. Because lasting and ultimate comfort must come from something that is lasting and ultimate in this world. As troubled as it is, as big and as overwhelming it is, isn't lasting and ultimate and therefore can't give it. But God is. God is lasting and ultimate. And what God gives by His grace is lasting and ultimate to us, for us with us, in us. God is our comfort. A few ways to soak our heart in that truth. Because we live in a troubled world. First is God promises our comfort. God promises our comfort. God comforts us through this frustrating world. I can't help but think of Psalm 23, especially verse 4. You think about the journey through this life and and all the way to the very end. What does Psalm 4 say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. My promises to be our comfort in this life, in this troubled world through all of its ups and downs and its valleys, even the lowest of valleys, the valley of shadow of death, God is with us. He promises to be with us. And so the very nature and character of God is on line. It's on the line here. Is God true to who He says He is and will be and will do? God's Shepherding promise and presence in our lives outmatch the oppressive dynamics of this world. And God and God alone delivers because He is ultimate. And as ultimate, He ultimately delivers on what He promises. Institutions in this world will indeed let us down, but God won't. Even when there is pain in the joy God is with us. And even when there is joy in the sorrow, God is with us. Do we ask something under the sun to do what only God can do? To give what only God has to give? Do we make our hearts anxious all the more because we're asking something to give what it does not possess? So feed your heart that which is ultimate. God promises our comfort. Whatever it is that you're in right now, whatever it is, you are not alone. Secondly, not only does God promise our comfort, Christ secures our comfort. Christ secures our comfort. Christ fulfills all that we long for. Christ fulfills all of the things that we see broken in Ecclesiastes 4. Christ is the answer to the longing and the crying out for comfort that we find in this chapter. Think of John 16, 33. In this world, Jesus speaking, in this world you will have tribulation. In this world is trouble. But take Heart that is, have comfort, I have overcome the world. But Think what he says, familiar words. Many of you in here know these words. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20, Jesus speaking after his resurrection. He's about to return to heaven where he's going to reign and rule and then one day return and and he gives final words to his disciples and to us today. And what does he say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's got all the power, and it hasn't corrupted him. He's overcome all of those corruptions. And what else does he say? And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He is the companion who never fails. Christ has secured for us our comfort. The companion who has all power and who overcame all corruption. The companion who satisfies our souls with a great gospel purpose and presence in our lives. The companion who is with us to the very end of the age through it all. The answer to Ecclesiastes 4 is Jesus. There is our comfort. There is our comfort. So fuel your faith with Christ. They'll go racing to this world to find some sort of acceptance. When Christ entered into this world and lived a life that you could not live and took on a task you could not bear to pay a penalty you could not ever hope to pay down to give you a life you could never find on your own. Fill your faith with Christ. Who he is, what he does. Christ supplies our comfort. Do you know him? Do you know that comfort? Thirdly, the Spirit supplies our comfort. God promises our comfort. Christ secures our comfort. The Spirit supplies our comfort. The Spirit applies all that God has promised and all that Christ has secured to our actual lives. The Spirit does it. Jesus said so. In John chapter 14, verses 26 and 27, Jesus is encouraging his disciples. He's trying to explain to them the end game of all of his work and and what's going to happen after that. And he's trying to give them some encouragement in the midst of some bewildering words to them. And he says these words, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And what will that produce in you? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, because the world can't give what I have to give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Trinity is intimately involved in bringing about your comfort in this troubled world and these troubled lives. The Father promises, the Son secures the Spirit. Supplies. Spirit dwells in us, bringing to us what the world can never give so that we can experience what we can never find lasting, ultimate comfort. So I say, comfort your hearts with greater prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit to provide what the Holy Spirit was sent to give. Why cut out? Actual, lasting, ultimate comfort from your life. Why, why not make a big deal out of God? Why not make a big deal out of Jesus? Why not make a big deal out of the work of the Spirit? Therein lies our lasting, actual comfort. There is the miracle. And you're going to want it. You're going to want it again tomorrow. As Frank would go on to say, you'll get greedy for it. Get greedy for the comfort that God has so graciously provided for you. This world is trouble enough. There's one last thing, and I don't have the scripture reference on a slide. I was wrestling with this, but, but we're brought into a new community. We find ultimate comfort in God, and in that new community, we get to be comfort givers to one another. We get to be sort of skin and bones of the comfort that we have experienced in God and from God. And it's Second Corinthians chapter one, verses three and four. And I encourage you to look this up on your own, but I'm going to read to you these words, Second Corinthians chapter one, three and four: "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all." Comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions, so that the outworking of God comforting us, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God brings about ultimate comfort to our souls. In this troubled world, we get to band together making much of Him and we get to be comfort givers and receivers with each other because of the nature and character of God's comfort to us. So being enough in each other's lives to know how we can go about giving comfort and receiving comfort with one another. Because I bet if you were to look around in this room or just even in your row, that there are people very close to you physically that are in great need of great comfort. And may we be a people who receive the comfort from God through the gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Spirit so that we can be people who give comfort to one another. That's the kind of companionship that we'll go through anything in this life together. The kinds that have received the mercy and comfort from God. That's our miracle, folks. That's our miracle. God's grace is a miracle for our calloused hearts and our conflicted souls. If we go about searching this world for comfort, we will only find frustration. But if we look above the sun together, we'll experience a forever comfort to God's glory and our good. And let's do that. Let's do that. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would indeed do that good work in us. If there are calloused hearts, that you would bring about the great conflict of the soul to only comfort us in lasting ways through your grace and mercy found in Jesus Christ. Spirit, we pray that you would supply to our hearts the needed comfort. The needed comfort that we have um, for this world is overwhelming. The troubles are plenty. Things won't satisfy. People will be fickle. But you won't. You'll never change your character, your grace, and your mercy. They will always be, and they will be new every morning. God, may we know that and be comforted, and out of that comfort, be a comfort to one another. God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.